Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan. And hey, Tony is back. Hey, T. How's it going? I mean, I didn't even know I was replaced until I actually saw it pop up on my Spotify that uh, there was a new episode of the Wavelength and I was not involved. So, you know, don't worry. I'm not I'm not heartbroken, but I'm also OK with Theo becoming the new co-host. That's that's perfectly fine by me. <laughs> I was just trying to give you a break. You know, every now and then you ought to have a break. I will take a permanent vacation from uh, this or that. <laughs> not allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> But yeah, so this week it was, it was a good week. Uh, we I've been by the time that the audience hears this, we will have Waters Technology will have hosted um, a conference called the Operational Efficiency Summit, first one ever, and so trying to get a new event off the ground. Still trying to work out kinks in a kind of post-COVID world. You know, it's always fun trying to figure that stuff out. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the event goes well. It's tomorrow, so. Uh, yeah, that, that's where my mind is. That's where my mind's been. So who we got on the podcast today so that I don't have to ramble on too much? <laughs> uh, so I brought on Yogita Mehta. She's the Commercial Product Director for Corporate Actions at SIX. When, well, as uh, her, her role actually states, we talk all about corporate actions. And it, it was quite fun because I, I think I brought in quite a lot of my fund accounting days and how things were like that and how things were are still the same according to some of my friends who are still in fund accounting. Um, but yeah, we talk all about the challenges of corporate actions and how that, if it can change at all. So Well, it's a, it's a good topic, corporate, act, or corporate actions, because uh, the reference data crowd is a niche crowd, and so we might lose some of the audience, but uh, the, the, the people that do like corporate actions are passionate about it. So I'm sure it'll be a good conversation. Let's get to it. Okay, joining us this week is Yogita Mehta. She's the Commercial Product Director for Corporate Actions at SIX. Thank you for joining us, Yogita. How are you today? Thank you for inviting me, and I'm very well indeed. How, I hope you're doing well as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's really warm here at the moment, but, uh, you know, that's that's Malaysia for you. Um, so uh, before we start here, I mean, if if you could give the audience uh, an overall view of like your background, what you've been involved in, that would be great. Sure. Um, so I guess I will not exactly name how many years I've been working because then you can guess my age, but I've got a long experience. I'd like to break my career down into two parts. I started off in the financial information space. Um, and this time I spent in India, where I work for um, for the likes of Tellerate, which is an old name, which later on got acquired by Reuters, who got acquired by Thomson, who got acquired, and now it's existing as Refinitive. Um, and and uh, so that's my roots when it comes to financial information space. And then after that, I kind of migrated to UK, where I am based right now. And there I did a lot of time in post-trade processing world, um, particularly to name a few organizations. I work for the likes of DTCC, um, DCS Banks, which is a software house, uh, IHS Market, or currently known as S&P Global, uh, where again, I focused on the, their corporate actions data and a software solution. Um, in between, I went and worked for Access Fintech, which is a new um, new player on the marketplace uh, on settlement side, uh, communication uh, on the settlement space, and now with six. So that's, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a background on me. 
Thank you for that. And uh, I mean, it's great to you know connect with a uh, someone who has an extensive experience in the post trade side. Um, I don't know if you you already noticed. I can't remember if I told you before, but uh, so I, I used to work as a fund accountant. Um, for, for RBC decks yeah, at the time. So kind of in that back office space, you know, um, calculating net asset values day in, day out. It's a, uh, it's one of the reasons why I left. Um, <laughs> not sure, not sure if I'm, I'm still in the right space or not, but anyway, I'm here I am. Um, so <laughs> uh, earlier in this month, uh, and we're now in October, uh, I actually attended the SIFMA Tech and Ops Conference in Singapore. And so obviously they have a post-trade panel, which I needed to sit in on. And I found it really interesting because uh, clearly the focus and the focus for any post-trade panel, I think in the last year or in the coming months even is definitely on T plus one, right? Everyone's talking about how T plus one in the US is going to affect Europe and you know how much of it is going to affect uh, Asia. Um, but one interesting thing, and one of the panelists uh, who was from SMP actually was saying that you know they earlier in the year they did a survey with their clients, um, you know, looking at okay, what what's the thing that they they uh, are focusing on or that they're worried about besides the whole settlement instruction and T plus one stuff, and it was corporate actions, and uh, she found it interesting because you know in the past it actually has not gotten a huge amount of attention. But of course, it is a very important area in the post-trade processes, you know, and I think people have spent, uh, people like you have spent years, you know, trying to automate it, make it better, uh, do all sorts of things, you know. Um, so maybe to start with, and uh, I, maybe it's a big question here, but uh, following on from that, what do you see, uh, what do you identify as the, let's say, the three biggest challenges that you see in the corporate action lifecycle today? Well, that's a loaded question, and I can speak for hours on it, but I'll try and shrink it to a few bullet points, right? So first things first, I think um, the first one is the inefficient processes. Um, and I, I know inefficient processes is a very broad terminology, so if we go further into it, I mean, it's essentially we are looking at, uh, first of all, we are trying to do multiple source comparison to derive your golden copy. Um, the the challenge the, there is a big challenge because you have to keep on being on top of how many sources you've got the more sources you will get the more more exceptions you will generate because it's not possible to to get all the data similar when you're comparing different data sources then the why does the multiple sources comparison is required or why does it generate more exceptions more workload for you is because the the primary source of data is inconsistent or sometimes incomplete, which is basically we are referring to the issuer or paying agent. There is, um, there is inconsistency and which results into incompleteness. And so that's that's the other, you know, when we talk about in, inefficient processes, the efficient uh, the processes are not limited to the custodians or the you know the asset managers, but the, the inefficiency comes right from the issuer, which is the origination of the corporate actions information, the starting point of it all. Um, so that's another area. There is also the element of lack of adoption of standards. Um, we are still, I mean, my favorite joke is, um, you know, that we, we talk about 15.02 and 20.02. And I remember there was a point where I, I, I used to tell my client that I went away and, and took time off, gave birth to a child, 
took maternity time off and I come back and we're still talking 15 or two. And we were still then saying that there was 20 or two. It's almost like I gave, in, gave birth to a human and we're still there, you know. Um, sadly, uh, lack of adoption of standardization is a reality, isn't it? Um, and that's, that's affecting. Um, also for some of the larger organizations, they have technology. I mean, let's face it, corporate actions processing has been going on for ages now. So we've mm. been doing it. We've built technology to do it, but perhaps it's now come to a point where the data explosion and the speed of data is so much higher that your legacy technology is not keeping up with it. You know, add on top of that the complexity of working remotely, which is something that the pandemic brought on to us. I mean, systems were not geared. The technology wasn't geared to allow this kind of flexibility. Or now what we live in, in a modern world of hybrid working, you know, it's almost like, the corporate action professional needs to have access to that that application remotely. Did you originally build it for remote usage? Probably not. So there is mm. an element. I mean, that's just an example of how legacy technology can become your own handcuff. That's one aspect of it. The second part I would broadly say is the regulation and market rules. There is a lack of regulation across the globe. So what that does is that different markets are, is operating on a different regulation. And say if you are the at the end of the day trying to invest in securities across the globe and you're trying to take all this data from different places, you're actually going to end up having different information which you have to then compare and bring it to one common platform, one common denominator in the data format, and then you go ahead processing. Once again, this lack of regulation or market rules stems back to the fact that how are the issuers or the paying regions providing this data? Have, as the, as the corporate actions uh, professionals, have we told the issuers, do the issuers know what are they expected to deliver? You know, can, can is there any regulation? Is there any guidance given to them so that there's a consistency further down the chain? And that's another area where, where it's, it's missing. And again, you can't seriously blame the issuers because we haven't provided them the clarity that they need. So, you know, if we don't come together and say, this is the bare minimum, everybody has to do in this specific format, the whole chain from the starting point to the end is just going to be not not coming together. So, it's, you know, it's a chain and effect um, situation. And lastly, but not the least, I suppose it's a behavioral issue as well. Sometimes when we are talking, especially as a six data vendor, you know, we, we talk to our clients and we say, why do you feel the need to scrub if I can give you the data from the primary source? Mm. Why? Because you're taking me, you're taking another provider, you're taking comparing it. So if you're an asset manager, you've got your global custodian giving you the data and you got a, you're taking another multiple data vendors but in the end we are all trying to source this information more or less from the primary source which could be the exchange or the issuer directly so why are we doing this you know why are we constantly scrubbing or cleansing <laughs> data i mean i know you're comparing it to itself isn't it if you think of it uh, <clears throat> but yes there is that that need um, the other thing that is very interesting to observe is is that organizations do this process again and again because they are siloed so you have a corporate actions mm. team sitting in one part and you have another one. They're all comparing the same information, but they're all doing their own process and reinventing it. I call that operating in silos because you could easily say, hey, let's just do this across the globe as one time and put a utility or put a <clears throat> internal something that will allow you to, um, you know, to just 
save yourself the time and the money and the effort altogether. But those are some of the things in my mind that really, um, you know, biggest challenges that the industry is facing when it comes to co-production processing. And those are very big challenges. Uh, <laughs> it feels like, <laughs> it feels like, um, I, I mean, certainly even just looking at regulation or standardization or why are we scrubbing the data and cleansing the data if we actually know it comes from the primary source? Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away, even though some of the solutions may seem simple. Um, so how do how do asset managers and custodians actually deal with this today? I mean, as you mentioned, they are <laughs> they are scrubbing the data from multiple sources, even though they get they might actually get the data from the primary source to begin with. Uh, and as you mentioned, I, I, th I think an interesting point that that you said, the more data you you get in, so the more source the data the more data sources you get in, and looking at corporate actions, uh, the more exception management you would have to, or the more exceptions you will actually have in that exception management process. Um, so yeah, how do they deal with this today? Um, are they, are asset managers and custodian or, you know, from the sell side, uh, are they throwing more people at it? Is that, is that, I mean, I think this is what they have done in the past. Maybe they still do that to a certain extent um, for, maybe special occasions, I don't, I don't know. Or, you know, are they actually trying to look at ways to perhaps automate some of this? But, you know, again, this is not solving the root cause of the problem, but, you know, what are their patchwork solutions, basically? <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> definitely what I am I'm delighted over the years that has happened is that for a change, people are, or the back offices are getting the budgets to do more automation, right? And perhaps that kind of became more evident at pandemic, where suddenly the technology spend in post-trade processing was definitely increased. So I think that's definitely something that's that's good, right? I mean, so at each layer, so if you think of it, from the issuer, the data is going to the exchanges or the CSDs, where they are oblig obliged to um, to submit the corporate actions notification, the exchanges are working towards enhancing their data capture processes. Um, at the same time, the global custodians, which is the next chain in the in the corporate actions lifecycle, that it goes the data travels to the global custodian, who is also they are investing heavily into, you know, into their processes to evaluate. Am I <clears throat> by scrubbing multiple times? Am I creating more work for myself? Uh, can I choose a provider that will be quicker? Can I install a, invest into a technology platform, a corporate actions processing platform, which would allow me to to you know put some put in some kind of artificial intelligence and natural language processing to tighten up my tolerances or reduce my tolerances so that there's as much of automation as I can. But once again, um, there is always need for people, and they are also keeping people out there but perhaps you highlighted that at the onset of what you said right that you left that back office processing space and so that's another challenge that they are facing that the, the talent pool is shrinking because you know <laughs> it, it is it's almost and and you have people who are who've been doing it for 30 years and one point that they will retire you need to tra transfer their knowledge um and so that's where again the technology comes in because 
while that person is not yet retired, if you can build rules and, and processes and automate them, then your dependency on one person who's acquired the knowledge, um, you know, it, it, it makes it more easier to do that. So I think that the as custodians, asset managers, all players in the marketplace out there, I think we are all trying to do the best, uh, the, the best that we can, keeping in consideration your own local complexities, projects, money, you know, um, all of that in. That's more or less, I mean, each organization's journey is kind of unique to themselves, you know. Right, right. Uh, I think the talent part is actually important. And I guess I'm, I was part of the problem, maybe, or I, I contributed to that. Um, I mean, I wish I could say that I was very, very passionate about calculating net asset values day in and day out. Uh, I mean, if I had stayed there, I probably would be earning a lot more money now. I mean, even though it's at the back <laughs> office, so I know we get less money, but definitely more than a journalist. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I know that you mentioned, uh, you know, everyone in the life cycle, whether it's uh, the exchanges trying to, uh, you know, deal with the issuers and, you know, automate some of the processes there, asset managers, custodian banks, they're all kind of doing something to to help, right? Because this is, uh, well, as you said, they can't really rely on just having people uh, because that talent pool is actually shrinking. People with 30 plus years of experience uh, retiring soon, or maybe they're just fed up with their jobs. That could be that too. Um, you know, getting the the lack of funding that that's there. But um, and I'm going to bring this up because I I spoke with them last year, the Australian Securities Exchange. I know sometime last year they actually launched a corporate action real time STP. So they automated uh, the information that they were getting for. Um, I guess uh, the the simple simple corporate actions, so things like a very standardized like dividend kind of thing. Not, I'm not the. Um, I think they have like Jumbo and Rapids, whatever they call it in Australia. Some weird corporate actions that they have there. Um, but they set it up with the issuers so that um, it it's become a STP process for them, uh, and hence you know would make things easier also for the custodian banks having to analyze that information, pull out whatever that's necessary to send down to their end clients. But what I found interesting from when I was talking to some custodians about this uh, service that the ESX had come up with is that they said, and I think it's quite true in any post-trade process, not just corporate actions. Uh, you're only as fast as the slowest person in that chain, right? And and to that point, um, this custodian bank was saying, you know, at the end of the day, we still need to give um, our clients elections back to the registrar. And to do that, the registrars in Australia only accept it in facts. And uh, I was I was shocked because I I didn't I didn't I thought we had all moved to emails, but apparently uh, some some uh, institutions have not. Um, but I mean, to that point, do, do you see other exchanges or uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, other exchanges also trying to kind of standardize inputs from the, the point of the issuer? Because as you mentioned, this is the kind of the, the start of the, the, the life cycle, right? No, I mean, that's a great question, Vaishan. You know, so I was recently reading an article um, that's actually uh, a, a paper which is done by International Security Services Association, and, and they, they actually highlighted this quite nicely. So I was quite uh, 
it was quite exciting and interesting uh, article. And you're right. I mean, ASX or Australian Stock Exchange is one of the first few that they have done it. And actually, I managed to find out that apparently India has tried to do the single source model. Hong Kong, Russia, Singapore, Slovenia, <laughs> Switzerland, um, and UK is working on a proof of concept and USA is working on a proof of concept. Now, of course, I, I mean, you know, one would have to go and check how far each of these exchanges are going. But I think what is important to note here is that all these exchanges are trying to make a change. I think if we can, if something like this would be achieved in UK and US, um, especially US, it's a fairly large market, right? So when mm. we look at corporate actions events, then the volumes are pretty high from there. And if, if a, a market like US can adapt to that, then I think there's definitely a positivity to look forward to. I also know that some of the, um, you know, like when we talk to some of the other exchanges in the market, they are all improving their feed, um, which, uh, you know, feed to deliver to uh, data vendors such as ourselves. But when you ask them the question that what, what, is the, what, are, what is the improvement here, it's almost like they are improving their processes to capture the data from the issuer itself. So I think there is <clears throat> work going on in different parts of the world. Is it enough? I probably say no. Will it be done before I retire? My gut feeling is absolutely not. Uh, even if I intend to work uh, for as long as I, my body allows me to. But nevertheless, I think it's a start. And I think I'm happy to know that it's a start because the next generation of co-production professionals will have a little bit of better landscape than where we are. And hopefully we won't have people leaving the space like you did because I'm just thinking that if you had machines and if you had software, that did the NAD calculation, which would make your work a little bit more easier to live. You might still have been a back office professional in the co-production space or in the in the post-trade world, right? And I think I was in one of the other webinars and we did highlight exactly that same thing where we say that, you know, it, it is important to, to retain your talent pool because it's so far shrinking. And mm. if you can't retain it, what can you do? To make their life a little bit easier. So in, in that way, like I said before, it's every chain within the co-production processing is, is kind of getting better, maybe not at the pace as which we want to. <laughs> okay, and then, and then I guess to that question, since everyone's kind of working on their own journey um, and there's so many projects that's going on, uh, even in the back office, which is good to see, as you said, you know, they are getting a bit more funding now, you know, rather than just putting everything in the front office. So it's nice to get some attention there. Um, but what are uh, when it when it comes to firms kind of automating some of their corporate actions processes, um, you know, what are some examples where automation can go wrong? Oh, that's right. Let me take it first <coughs> the other way down. So we again, this webinar we attended, we did a survey and I was really impressed with the survey finding from the attendees who, which will be sponsored it. So I have the statistics out there and it showed that only 10% of the attendees feel, felt that they use Microsoft Excel. So that's great. 30% of them felt that they use third party software, which to me is also a good idea because when you talk about a third party software provider, they, because they make a software into a product, they have to bring standardization. And so if you adopt a third party software, you by default adhering to the market practices because you can't build the software for each client. You 
you tend to build it for general consumption, right? And then 60% right. still tell, they say that they use in-house solution, right? So to me, that is a good landscape of the automation journey, right? That there is an automation journey taking place, less people using Excel, more relying on software, but there's still, you know, there's still a way to go for, for, for standardization out there. So that's that's really good news. But along with the automation also comes in very interesting situation. And I remember um, during COVID time, I was talking to somebody and it was a, a asset manager, a buy side wealth management firm. They had automation in place. They had a third party software and they had data coming in. And, you know, normally your dividends, they don't typically get canceled, um, you know, so you don't really so a lot of these processes are automated that you know the dividend is going to be announced and so and so they process it and and you know make the payments and as per the the announcement that's come through um during covid a lot of dividends got cancelled really at the right last minute hmm. and for whatever reason they forgot to and to turn on the flag for cancelled events so the, the organization actually went ahead and processed the dividends um, even though the dividend was cancelled by the issuer, and then they had to reverse the whole engineer and the all the entries back into their, uh, you know, because they they just processed it. Of course, it was just a systematic process, and there was no money transfer that had happened. But yet, imagine the amount of work that goes through. So I think when people take on a pro automation project, it is important to keep in consideration all scenarios, and you know, uh, not not just. Say I've automated it, I've set everything and configured it. I mean, luckily the, the organization didn't suffer any loss or any issues, but it it could result into uh, substantial issues, if not nothing else, operational inefficiencies, right? I mean, you have to do the work to reverse engineer everything out there. So to me, um, you know, those are some of the areas where automation is fantastic. But also there will always be an, a need to, to be diligent about it. And once again, I have always felt that if any organization can achieve up to 70 to 75% of STP rates, that's the time they should cut themselves on the back because there are some complexities within the corporate actions processing space which just won't be automated because of the risk involved. There will always be the 4i check required on a more complex voluntary events where the risk will be high. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are some of the interesting scenarios of why you try to automate. It's good that we are on the automation journey, but there are also certain pitfalls that one should be just careful of. And it could just be as simple as did I manage to make make note that the event, if the event gets cancelled, my system should recognize that cancelled flag or have I even sent the cancelled flag in there? Yeah, that that just then means like a lot more a lot more work that results from that, I'm sure. Um, and these were all I remember was happening um, just consequentially, right? One after the other being cancelled. And uh, yeah, just remember news headlines out like that. Um, I, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned that, uh, you know, if if they can achieve 75 to 80 percent of SCP, everyone deserves a pat on the back there. I mean, in, in, in any back office process, what are the current STP rates that you see, um, you know, in corporate actions in, in general, I'm guessing, because obviously it will vary from firm to firm. Right. And obviously also on um, a specific corporate action. Right. Yeah, I mean the, the matrix is quite complex. So there's some of our clients they do the um, you know they do the comparison or the evaluation of their automation rates. It's, it's really it depends. I think 
the more mandatory events could achieve much higher STP rate because they are not complex and they are straightforward. Um, but the voluntaries are have definitely lower um, STP rates for sure. But one could one could aim to achieve, I mean, anywhere between 40 to 75, 80% of, of, of STP rates one could aim to achieve. I'm sure there are some organizations who are hitting those numbers quite successfully, and then yet there are some who will be on a much lower um, scale. And again, this is not just mandatory and voluntary, it kind of gets complex on which market you are dealing with, right? Um, so say if, 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 we're, if one of the exchanges, like we discussed, some of the exchanges have started sourcing, uh, gathering the data. Now in those markets, it could be possible to achieve much higher um, STP rate, right? Um, because you're getting clean, reliable source of data, and so you're reducing the, the need to scrub or cleanse, and the processing can be done much quicker and the data is captured in a standardized format so you can reload your processes to automate because you know what you're getting in. It's, 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 it's going to be consistent. Um, the format of the data is going to be consistent. Um, so that's that's how I would I would look at, um, you know, what are the rates that how much are people achieving? Be hard to make a statement on, you know, we can't just say oh, all global custodians achieve so much because that's each one is again uh, going through their own complexities and achievement out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, understood. Uh, and just before we close out here, uh, I'd like to pick your brain on basically what what themes are you seeing when it comes to say using um, uh, if I can put a blanket statement out there, automation or AI or any other emerging technologies to assist those working, uh, you know, within the corporate action function. Yeah. Um, I suppose, well, that's an interesting one. You could, one could use AI um, to reduce the tolerance or reduce the exceptions. So you could say, you consider that, you know, that AI is picking up constantly what is the, the errors that are coming up and shrink the tolerance level or, you know, those kind of AI related stuff could be put in out there. I'm not so sure yet we are ready to have full-blown AI operating in cooperative processing. I mean, like I said, if we are talking about 75 to 80 percent STP rates, that is a long way before AI can fully take over, right? So, mm. hey, good news, people power is always going to be required, so we're all going to keep our jobs in this space. I don't want to worry about that uh, from, from that point of view. I think machine learning... Um, could could have a role to play in time to come if we achieve all the consistencies that I'm talking about, right? So if the data is in a consistent format, then machine learning can be much more easier. But right now, if different exchanges are publishing or different CSDs are publishing data in a different format, each issuer is coming up with his own version of a, of a document, which is a 100-page long PDF, right? Mm. The, the machine learning journey is that much more harder because how do you build that library? Uh, for the machine to to process automatically, so I think that's another area um, that would work. I think we are, I I don't have up to date stats, but we did try using um, um, blockchain in the space of settlement, and I think one of the biggest projects that was taken up in APAC region didn't succeed that well. So it's another, but I think look, let's face it, AI, machine learning. Um, all these are, are new technologies, and I, I always believe that innovation 
um, should not be um, should not be limited because of the number of times you failed. Because if you think of it, if we didn't keep trying, we wouldn't be flying. We would still be horse carrying. We wouldn't have you know we wouldn't have progressed. And that you know that's the journey of innovation. Failure is very much a part of innovation. And eventually, out of hundreds of different innovative ideas, one will succeed. And in order to find that one, you have to keep on trying hundred different ones, right? And and so to me. AI, machine learning, they will come into play, but it's, it is a bit of a long way. And if I had to choose in the short run, where should we channelize ourselves? I'd probably say start at the start of the chain, which is where the issuer is announcing the data. And if we can improve in those areas, those would be the starting point. And then you can eventually capitalize on things like AI and machine learning um, further down the chain, right? But if your data is erroneous or it's not reliable, it's not consistent, then you can't fix it. And that's pretty much where the data is such a key part of this whole machinery, right? I mean, it's a bit yes. like you can't, you can have as fancy a car as you want, but without that petrol or without the source of energy, the car is not going to move, right? And the same way, without that quality of data and clean, consistent data coming through, you can have as powerful a software, as powerful a technology, is still going to generate bad results because it's relying on that data to generate the results. Yeah, garbage data in, garbage data out, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm. And we're yeah. not saying it's garbage. I think we're just saying that we need consistency. There, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think was, the data yeah. <laughs> is dependable, but I'm just saying that we need to have consistency in that in that data <laughs> format and capturing and some rules around it that would make life everyone's life easier. You know. Yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> well, it's been <laughs> excellent having you on, Yogita. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having uh, having me over. And it was great chatting up with you and just, you know, taking some time out to think about the problem at a macro level rather than keep being busy with the micro level. <laughs>